My dad passed on the 17th of April, and the Oscars came on the 25th. We won. I was excited, I was happy, but my emotions were just didn't know where to land. Andrew Sachs is an Oscar-winning producer, avid photographer, devoted husband and father, who is in production for two Netflix documentary series when the pandemic hit. Andrew was interviewed by Larry Huynh in this episode of Personal Veritas. Hello, everyone. I'm Larry Huynh, and with me I have Andrew Sachs. Hi, Andrew. How's it going? It's going pretty well. Glad to do this. It is a really a pleasure for me to meet new folks along the way. And as we talk about this in 25 years later, did you always think you were going to go into film when you were at Harvard? And I believe you're a VES. Well, after I got into Harvard, I was very interested to concentrate in VES. I had been doing photography in high school, but as reportage and for the newspaper and yearbook and that kind of stuff. And I'd done a little artsy stuff as in high school, but I really wanted to explore photography as an art form. And I felt, you know, I'd like to see what this could be like as an artist path. At some point, I discovered that there's a little warren of small rooms underneath Seaver, which housed the, <laughs> the film corner of the VS department. And oh, interesting. I, was, I had no idea. Yeah. And there was all machines, reel-to-reel, Steenbecks for editing actual film. And there were some wonderful documentary filmmakers who are on the faculty. And we learned how to make documentary films, shooting on 16 millimeter. And I was hooked. And I was like bringing all my photography skills into that realm. And other people had more maybe storytelling skills or charismatic, let's say, uh, interviewer types and Everyone was an artist in that class. So after college, I said, okay, I want to see if I can figure out how to make films. And of course, even as an undergrad, even though the program was largely documentary-based, we were all wanting to make scripted stuff. And so we'd try to figure out how to do that. And certain thesis films would come about. We'd all work on that. And But I was like, okay, I want to learn the big leagues. And so after college, I interned on a, a set, thanks to Galt Niederhofer, who's one of our classmates. She got me into an independent film in New York, and one thing led to another, and uh, I started working as a camera assistant, worked my way up the ranks, and became a director of photography. And I really loved the physical production, the, the set, being on location or in a studio and working mm-hmm. with the light and working with the lenses and the camera and the whole team to tell stories and to, to put the ideas onto a moving picture medium. So I was doing that for a long time as a freelancer, and it was only after... Having my first child, I started producing. I started my own company and started doing producing smaller stuff. Obviously, I, I have kids, so I was wondering that pivot to go from more the creative to more the producing side, was that a practical decision? Was it something that, well, you always want to get another view of the filmmaking process? Yeah, I think it was both. I wanted to find something where I could be involved in projects for longer and have a little more stability financially. I also... I found myself gravitating toward the producing duties. I had produced several short films, and inevitably on these short films, I would have a lot of experience and could bring a lot of resources to the table in the form of relationships with crew and vendors, and I kind of understood how to schedule and budget to some degree. In fact, way back in 2000, just a few years after graduating, 
I produced a short film called Officer Goodnight with Mia Riverton, Bashir Salhadeen, and Stephen Turner. And over the years, did more and collaborated more with those guys in different ways. But around 2012, when my daughter was born, I was feeling some financial pressure to kind of have more regular employment. And I realized that as a producer, yeah. I could be involved in a longer time frame from start to finish. And I was honestly eager to do something with even more responsibility than the director of photography, which has a lot of responsibility on a big film, but I wasn't getting those big films. Right. So I was looking for a way to pivot. And I was able to find some clients and produce some things and educational videos, industrial videos, branded content, music videos. I even did a few experimental features. And one of them won a LA Film Critics Award for Best Experimental Feature. And so I was kind of warming up as a producer through doing it my own way in my own company. But I realized the limitations of that. And I wasn't fully prepared to scale the company and find the right partners. And I kind of needed a job. So I eventually landed at Dirty Robber as they were a commercial production company about to embark on their first documentary series. And I came in as a production management role, ended up line producing several series in that first year. And then by the second year there, I was supervising other line producers. And by the third year, I became the head of production. And we had a larger volume of documentary series. And of course, I was also supervising production of the commercials as well. So I learned a lot there. It was a great experience. But when the pandemic hit, I was already burned out. And then the pandemic hit. Oh, God. I was working 12-hour days. We had a documentary series in post-production for Netflix. And then we also had this short film that then got an award nomination and the acquisition. You're referring to Two Distant Strangers, which uh, I had a chance to watch and it's amazing and, and congratulations and the Oscar for it, richly deserved. And this is a short film that is about Black Lives Matter and the issues that are confronting our society today. So tell us a little bit more about that, like how it came about and honestly filming it during these times. The film was at first to me a distraction. And I'm saying that knowing that it's a little controversial because like, oh, you got an Academy Award. But I want to be clear, I did not see that coming. I saw certainly a great cause. Certainly our company wanted to make something meaningful to speak to the protests after George Floyd's death. And at the time of 2020, we were in the throes of producing a show called Heist for Netflix. It's a documentary series. Grand ambition, pretty large budget for a documentary series. It would include stylistic recreations, which is effectively like shooting an independent film within a documentary series. Right. So when we went into the pandemic, we had shot most of the interviews. So we were able to kind of pivot fully into post-production, which is easier in a pandemic. And we had figured out a lot of the protocols and processes for that. So when Two Distant Strangers came about, Martin Rowe, the creative director of Dirty Robber brought it up and said, you know, I've been working on this script with my buddy Trayvon. We want to make this short film. Uh, let's get this going. Let's do a budget and, you know, we're going to find some financing. And I was like, okay. We've been, since the beginning of pandemic, been trying to adhere to all these protocols from county public health, 
from the industry guidance, white papers, the joint efforts of the Directors Guild, SAG, the IATSE unions, you know, trying to navigate what is safe to do both on a county public health level, but within our industry and what the specifics are. So I've been navigating that and setting policy for the company since March of 2020 and managing that. And so we're like, okay, it's summer, we're kind of figuring it out, but we got to figure out this production piece because eventually we have to go back and shoot that big segment for heist. But our our team was like, we got to we got to get this short done. We got to get it done soon so we can get it into the awards contention and maybe festivals and all that stuff. Like, now's the time. I was like, okay, guys, this script contains all kinds of close contact, intimacy scenes, grappling. These are things that SAG specifically is recommending we don't do at this time. This is going to be difficult to get their approval. And we will need their approval for it to be a SAG show. And it needs to be a SAG show because of the people that we want to put in it. And then there's the budget. My executive for like, why... We should be able to do this for much less. I was like, we would be able to do it for much less, except for the fact that we're going to need to do a lot of COVID testing. So the testing part of the budget and the COVID compliance and the special teams on set to manage all of that cost a pretty penny. And anyone who's been working in production knows that that is a a budget hit and it's a factor now. The question I have is you have all these things to overcome and all these issues and in, in 2020, there's a huge segment of society who says filming is wrong right now. That is a luxury, not a necessity. There are probably people, not just in the greater public, but in the industry who think that that is a bad idea and bad public policy and public health. What, what did you guys think about that? And how did you reconcile that to say, no, we, we really need to do this and go full steam ahead? I think that production is always a matter of risk assessment. And COVID is just another one of those risks that got introduced. As a production management person and head of production, I felt very responsible for people's health and safety. And so my attitude was generally one of avoidance, but the creative directors were admittedly like, let's make this happen. And so we rolled up our sleeves to really develop COVID protocols. And I think we ended up with a 50 or 60 page document that would outline exactly how each department and each role would handle things on set. And remember, this was our first production back, but some productions had been going back. So we had some something to build on. But it was important to us that everybody on set felt safe and that we also felt that we could do it safely from a business perspective because there's no insurance that would cover for stopping the production due to COVID. So we had to keep everyone safe, not just for their best interest, but also for the best interest of the investors. And by the way, we were like, okay, we got we to gotta get a little more money going here, guys. But we ended up pushing and pushing and get going into production and later figuring out some of the financing. But ultimately, the testing was a, was a big factor and we were able to convince SAG to allow us to film these kinds of scenes because we kind of exceeded their expectations and their guidance for testing. And that amounted to testing the people involved in the intimate scenes multiple times a week and the night before the morning of an intimate scene. And so we were getting PCR tests on a six-hour turnaround, which if you know about 
PCR tests and turnaround time, that's pretty good. Of course, we paid a lot for that. That's new for everyone, right? So people probably have done films before and all of a sudden they're filming during a global pandemic and all these new protocols and having stuff shoved up their noses on a regular basis. How did people respond to that? Did people were like, yes, let's keep everyone safe because I feel good about that? Or is it like, no, this is such a pain in the ass? Well, I think most of the crew was fine. And I will tell you, I don't like getting a PCR test either. It's not comfortable. And we had a, a team of, of nurses that would come to our talent's house and, and do it for them, you know, rather than them having to go anywhere. And, you know, our lead was Joey Badass, who's a very known rapper and, you know, quite a brilliant guy. And he's been gradually making his way into acting. But look, yeah, COVID tests were new for everybody. And he did not respond well to the initial testing. And we realized, okay, we don't have to do the deep nasal swab. We could switch <laughs> to a mid-nasal swab for him and maybe switch the nurse who's doing it because he had a bad experience with that one. So he eventually was totally on board and did all the testing and and everybody got through the production without any incident of COVID. We were greatly relieved. So I, I've seen it. I think it's great. And it's to have art tell a story that really needed to be talked about and discussed. What was that like to then have that finished product and then take it out there for people to see while honestly the the world hasn't changed in the way it needs to and people are dying still what was the reaction out there? Was it was it well-received? Did people feel like this is an important story to tell? Did you feel like it was a really important story to tell and have out there? Despite my initial risk assessment and caution, I was very happy that we made it happen. And it's my job to flag the risks, and it's my creative executive's job to say, we're doing it anyway. And we did it anyway. And I'm very proud of the work, and, and I feel like it came out very well. And I, I do think it it approaches the subject in a way that is a bit light and and it's digestible and entertaining while leaving a, a pretty resonant message. And these days, I, I think it's important to have those kinds of important themes and messages resonate through things that are not super dark uh, all the time. As far as the reception, I think people liked it. I think it, it would have had a great festival run had it not been picked up by Netflix. And certainly the Academy Award nomination, that then put it on Netflix's radar in a new way that they were like, okay, we got we to gotta get in on that. And we're glad they did. I wasn't sure what to expect. I didn't know what it was about. So it was, it was actually, I enjoy watching uh, films in that way where I'm, I'm constantly surprised and, and not sure where it's going. And it was 30 minutes and it was a great 30 minutes. And I really appreciate it. And it helped me reset my day, which that is also a nice thing about short films, right? It's, it's not this huge commitment, which sometimes hard to find that two, two and a half hours to watch a, a feature film. 30 minutes short that really delivers is, is really a treat. So again, congratulations on that. Well, thanks. Yeah, let's, we'll avoid any spoilers on here, but I do hope folks will get a chance to watch it. And that's really one of the best things about it, being on a streamer and Netflix in particular, is that it is totally accessible all around the world. We've done our job to 
honor this story and that people, ultimately, the goal was to get the message out there. And there's no better way to do that than with a platform with a global reach. And interestingly, I, I think producing a short that's 30 minutes is probably about half as much work as producing a feature. It's like you have the same, all the same stuff, just the ultimate finished content is a little shorter. But we went through all of that. But yeah, and again, that's why it's it's often seen as not a good investment. It's like, why would you go through all that trouble and only have something that's 30 minutes instead of something that's more saleable in a long form? But I do think that the streamers and other platforms are giving voice to content taking different forms and different shapes and finding different audiences. And for me, I'm really just so glad to be involved in a project that does tell those kinds of stories. And that sort of helped shape my decision to where to go next. My dad passed on the 17th of April, and the Oscars came on the 25th. We won. And it was a really tough couple of weeks. I was excited. I was happy. But, you know, I wasn't quite sure what to feel about my dad. And I think I've suppressed a lot of sadness, but I've also suppressed some of the celebration, too, because somehow I couldn't completely celebrate a week after my dad's passing. So my emotions were just didn't know where to land. My dad uh, was a long-term survivor of glioblastoma, brain cancer. He had already lived six years past his diagnosis, which was long and even longer than the doctors expected. So it was no surprise when he started declining. And about a year into the pandemic, and he opted to going to home hospice care instead of further treatment. At the time of my dad's decline, we'd been in the pandemic a year. I was head of production at Dirty Robber. Things were very busy. I had my hands full and I didn't have a lot of support, but I went back to visit my dad for a few weeks in March of 2021. And during those 10 days or so that I was there, our short film got nominated for an Academy Award and then got acquired by Netflix. And so I was like, okay, I've got a lot of work to do. I've got to go back. Because uh, I had to deliver the show to Netflix um, on short notice. How was it to make that kind of decision? Like, what were you dealing with? What were you processing? How did you get to that point? Because you're obviously, it's life, it's it's work, both requires so much out of us and we're always finding a way to balance that and you have a really difficult choice to make here. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I had planned to go for about two weeks and they thought that might be sufficient time to connect with him. And my mother was there and my brothers are also in New York and they could visit more frequently. Like I, I thought All right, two weeks would be enough and maybe if he's doing well, I'll go back again. But 
even before the award nomination and the Netflix acquisition, I had a ton of work to do. And so with every day that I spent with him, I felt that avalanche of emails and that avalanche of deadline pressure to deliver things. And I I think my employers were, you know, fairly generous and they probably would have given me even more time. But I also knew that there was nobody else that knew what I knew and had the access to the information. So many of us, obviously, as our parents are getting older now, are confronting uh, this, parents getting sick, parents passing away. What was that like for you? Just even even with the six years, just when it starts feeling imminent, how did you process that? How did you deal with that? I think that I'm still processing it. I definitely know that anyone who's lost a parent has gone through all kinds of grief and everyone processes it in their own way. And for me, it was two big events. There were sort of like conflicting emotions and I'm still working on reconciling that. And and it's a year later and I feel like I'm finally, you know, getting some progress with that. So what are you up to now? What What's going on in your world now? Well, I left Dirty Robber and went over to a company called Film 45, which is Peter Berg's production company for documentaries. And I've really been enjoying working within that company. I've been on a documentary series since last August. Can't really say too much about it. So, so stay tuned, people. Stay tuned. And and look, I will share this. I one of the I had a few options to choose from when I left Dirty Robber and one of the reasons I was attracted to working on this particular project was the theme also had to do with the being young and black in America and shedding some light on that experience. So I feel very proud to be aligned with that kind of storytelling right now. Now you have two kids, you have family, all these various pressures, but there's always that tug of the your first loves of things, right? So are you going to pivot back to the more creative side of things? Well, first of all, I do want to give a shout out to my wife, Agar, because she's been the rock and the support through all of this, and particularly in the pandemic when I would be working from home, but still hardly see them because I would be working and grinding it out and trying to support all these productions. And Hagar has has been there for me. Looking ahead professionally, I would like to find a way to steer back toward more creative involvement. We didn't really touch on the details of what it means to be a line producer or head of production. Effectively, my role now is production management on various scales. And I don't want to bore people with all the budget talk and insurance talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk, don't bore legal. people. We can't okay. do that. We can't right. lose people. Okay, we're losing them. We're losing them. But yeah, I would like to switch, you know, I would like to find a way to pivot back to more creative producing, if not shooting. And one of the reasons I was even able to sort of put the camera down was to tell myself, it's not never again. It's just not right now. Yeah. And so I still love taking pictures. But one of the things I've loved since VES was the collaborative nature of film production. And whether as a director of photography or producer, I've loved always supporting others and collaborating with others who have a vision of a story they want to tell. And 
For me, the, the partnership and the collaboration is everything. And it is to telling the right stories, but also doing it with the right people, with the right mindset. Really can't wait to see what, what's next. And thanks for the time today. Thank you so much. 